And we're going to look at the first nine verses of the chapter this evening. I'd encourage you to come back. We're covering a series on Sunday evenings, the month of July, entitled Identity in Christ. And tonight we'll be looking at a chunk of John 15 and talking about, um, last week we looked at child of God, this week we're going to look at this topic of being the friend of God. So I encourage you to be back tonight, but this morning we'll pay attention to the first nine verses and a little bit further down, but for the sake of our, our reading, let's look at the first nine verses. I'll begin in verse 1, and then we'll begin reading in verse 2 together. The Bible says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Together, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him... The same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, So shall ye be my disciples, and also together, verse 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. The sermon title today will begin a new series. The title of the series is Protecting the Sprout, and we'll look at this topic of abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning as we consider John 15. And, Lord, a passage that is oh so important to the Christian, help us, Lord, to be determined that we would walk the Christian life abiding in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, our theme this year is Rooted in Christ, and it is meant to take each of us on a journey to have a strong scriptural root system which will become productive for the Savior. Uh, and another way of putting that is a strong root system that will lead to us having spiritual success. And I would hypothesize or I would state emphatically that spiritual success is life success. You show me someone who is spiritually successful and I'll show you someone who has figured out how to be successful in life. We, uh, like a farmer with his farmland, we have worked our way methodically and carefully attempting to help each one who cares to listen to the sermons this year, uh, who cares to listen to uh, the concepts, helping each one uh, to as they endeavor to become that Psalm 1 tree that is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. 
And so, again, methodically working our way, just like a farmer walking onto a piece of land that has never been cultivated, that has never been farmland. We began this year walking out into the field of your heart, attempting to prepare the soil of your heart so that roots can go down deep and the fruit can be lush and abundant in production for the Savior. So we began the year by preaching a series of sermons out of Luke 8 entitled, Preparing the soil, preparing the soil. And then two Sundays ago, we finished up our second series of the year entitled Planting the Seed. So we talked about preparing the soil of your heart to receive the seed. And then we spent several weeks talking about uh, planting the seed. We looked at topics of the right type types of seeds to plant. We talked about getting up the old root systems that would keep those seeds from growing and developing. We talked about being patient in the process and allowing those seeds to uh, grow and spawn and uh, develop and the root systems to go down deep and strong so that the uh, the sprout or that tree, uh, that fruit tree can grow up and be strong. And so this week we're going to look at uh, a new series, uh, begin a new series of sermons with this idea of protecting the sprout. So the seed has gone down into the soil of your heart. It has put down those uh, roots and now up comes the evidences of a Christian life. Many of you here have been saved for years and you have a strong knowledge of the Bible. You have eliminated many of your past habitual sins and there is strong evidence indeed that you are a Christian. What are some of those evidences? Well, you go to church. Your mouth is cleaned up. The words I used to say, I don't say them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. How many know the song? All right. Um, uh, the, your mouth is cleaned up. You go to church. You live a separated lifestyle for the most part. You uh, you don't look, talk, dress, act like the world. There's a, a sense of separation about you. And maybe you have even begun to produce a little bit of spiritual fruit in your life. Well, what now? What now? Satan wants nothing more than to see that young sprout, that young tree, produce as little fruit as possible for the Lord. Satan does not mind you going and sitting on the pew. Satan does not mind uh, if you uh, are reading your Bible. Satan does not mind if you take a few minutes and pray. Oh, but Satan does not want you to be productive in sharing your faith with others around you. Satan does not want the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and have direction in your life and produce the right temperament, the right fruit, emotional fruit within your spirit. Satan does not want your testimony to be stellar. You you may remember the story where Jesus walked past the fig tree and he went to it to get figs and oh it was beautiful the tree was there there were leaves in abundance but there were no figs and so jesus came back sometime later and there were still no figs and what did jesus do he cursed the tree he he just cursed the tree why because it was a tree of great decoration but it was a tree that was not producing any fruit so many Christians that woke up this morning and put on their uh, their nice church clothes and gathered up their Bible and tucked it under their arm. So many Christians are sitting in a church somewhere today and they look like a Christian, but they're not producing fruit as a Christian ought to produce. And you know what I'd say is you look fancy putting on your nice clothes and getting in your car 
and driving to church. But from a practical standpoint, is your Christian life even making a difference? When somebody needs to pull that fruit off the tree of your life and it make a difference in their life, is it even there? You see, we can look the part, talk the part, and act the part. But if there isn't any fruit, then does it matter? How does a Christian produce fruit for the Lord? Well, he must abide in Christ. He must be one with Christ. If you could please put that picture up on the screen for me. Here we have a picture of a branch uh, with uh, some grapes. I believe those are grapes. Those might be, I believe those are grapes. Uh, grapes are blueberries, but uh, growing out of the uh, the vine. So the, the, you see a vine and then a branch coming up out of the vine. And then from that branch, you have a wonderful fruit that is produced. How do you get there? How do you get there? You get there by attaching yourself and abiding in Christ. This morning, we turn our attention to the 15th chapter of John. And we talk about uh, the most uh, uh, vital step in maintaining that tree or branch that can produce much fruit for the Savior. The theme uh, of the chapter, John 15, is abiding in Christ. Do you abide in Christ? Well, I hope by the end of the message today we can all see where it is that we are and are not abiding in Christ. I propose that each Christian must develop a strong tight-knit, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It is our Savior that provides the spiritual nutrients to see us get by. If our relationship with Jesus Christ dries up, all evidences of our Christian life will eventually die out as well. As born-again believers, we have not been called to go through religious rituals but rather to have a daily, and may I even say it, a moment-by-moment relationship with our Savior. A moment-by-moment relationship. That constant abiding. This morning, let's jump in and look at three key components to this idea of abiding in Christ. Number one, notice, abiding in Christ is personable. Is personable. Uh, Look at John chapter 15. And verse number four with me. Look here. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. uh, Except that abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Uh, It is personable. Uh, Letter A. Notice the definition of abide. What does it mean to abide. Well, I have found that uh, most modern day dictionaries don't do justice to words that were used in our old English Bible. And so I have located a dictionary that was written about the same time that the Bible, uh, the King James Bible was written. And boy, the definitions are much more lush and accurate with what uh, was meant by words back then. And so this definition comes out of a dictionary from the early 1800s. It means this to dwell, to tarry or to stay and rest, to dwell, to tarry or to stay and rest, to abide. How many of you here uh, like having friends over in your home? Would you raise your hand 
if you enjoy having friends over in your home. Okay, good. Uh, my wife and I are quite hospitable type people, and we enjoy having folks in our home. Many of you have either been to our home or you've been invited to our home at the least. If you haven't and you'd like to come over, we would love to have you over, okay? Uh, we, uh, we, we love having folks in our home. But have you ever had someone in your home and they just don't know when it's time to leave? <laughs> you ever had that happen? And it's like uh, you get the vacuum cleaner out, the broom out, and you start sweeping. It's like, okay, you know, it's, it's time to go. Um, and you don't want to quite come out and tell them. Uh, John R. Rice was a famous preacher of uh, yesteryear. I guess his heydays would have been the 1940s, 50s, 60s, somewhere in there. John R. Rice's bedtime was 9.30. And so if you were at his house and it was 9, he wouldn't even announce it. He wouldn't announce it ahead of time. He wouldn't tell you ahead of time. And uh, legend has it that when the clock hit 9.30, he'd stand up and he'd say, well, I'm going to bed. And he'd head off to his room, close the door, get in his pajamas, brush his teeth, and climb right under the sheets. And his wife would have to see the guests off, um, and, uh, but to abide. While I may want you to go at some point so that I can go to bed, and we, uh, we, we can see that time come to an end, the Lord wants you to dwell, to tarry. He wants you to stay and rest permanently. He's not looking for you to leave. He's not asking you to run off. Abide. Dwell with me. Tarry with me. Stay and rest with me. Now, for a young Christian, this begins by picking up your Bible and having a devoted time to Bible reading and a devoted time to prayer. But to those that have that devoted time of Bible reading and prayer, can I tell you, that is not where it ends. The Lord wants you to take those thoughts that He gives you in that Bible reading time, and He wants you to meditate on them throughout the day. Meditate on them throughout the day. Now, some of you here are very good at mental uh, retention. You can, you can read something and get the thought in your mind, and you can just call it back up at a moment's notice. But I know that I'm not always that way. I'm a little more scatterbrained, and I get going this way and that way, and, and I turn around and I can't remember what happened ten minutes ago, uh, much less what I read in my Bible. So what I'll do is I'll pull out an, a, an application on my phone, or sometimes I'll get a four-by-six card and a pen, and I'll write down the truth that the Lord has given me that day so that I can continue to abide in meditation with the Lord. How about this one? How about jotting things down, uh, jotting a verse down on a card and carrying that with you and memorizing that verse so that the Word of Christ can dwell in you richly. Let her be, notice, uh, the duality of abiding. The duality of abiding. This is an idea that God wants us to be very interwoven, interconnected, very drawn to Him. In France, there once lived a poor blind girl who obtained the Gospel of Mark in raised or braille letters, and she learned to read it by the tips of her fingers. By constant reading, there uh, developed a uh, calluses on the end of her fingers, and her sense of touch diminished until she could not distinguish the characters. One day, she cut the skin from the ends of her fingers to her, to, uh, for the purpose of increasing their sensibility, but in so doing, she destroyed her ability permanently to feel the letters. 
she felt that she must now give up her beloved book. And while weeping, she pressed that book to her lips, saying, Farewell, farewell, sweet word of my heavenly Father. To her surprise, her lips, more delicate than her fingers, discerned the form of the letters. All night she pursued with her lips the word of God and overflowed with joy at the new acquisition. Abiding in Christ. Christian, when was the last time you were so in love with the Bible that you would weep at the thought of having it take in front of you? The duality of abiding. Look back at verse 4 with me. Notice that this is a two-way street, this idea of abiding. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. You see how uh, God wants us, Christ wants us to abide in Him and He wants to abide in us. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. Now, the branch must be locked into the vine, must be tied into the vine uh, in order to receive the nutrients needed to produce fruit. If you take that branch and you break it away from the vine and you just stick it down in the dirt by itself, it will not produce fruit. Uh, Rather, it will wither up and die. But let me also make this point that the vine needs branches in order to sit, uh, in order to have a place to send the nutrients so that the fruit can be produced. Without uh, both being attached to each other, Fruit cannot be produced. Here's the truth. You must be tied into the the Word of God in a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ in order to produce for the Lord. But the Lord needs you in order to have an end for which to send that fruit. What happens when we are no longer connected to the Lord the way we ought to be? Well, we go to work and instead of being a testimony for Him, we become a detriment to Him. Instead of speaking words of of glory and honor and praise and holding up the the name of the Lord and and being kind to others and and, and returning good for their evil and kindness uh, for their rudeness, no, we end up returning evil for evil and, 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 and rudeness for their rudeness. And we go home and we have a sharp mouth. We have an unkind spirit. And there is no longer that fruit being produced. And now, all of a sudden, God is down a soldier in the battlefield standing for truth and right. Because you're not connected into him. He's not connected into you. He cannot produce through you and you cannot have him produce through you. This is a duality. Both require each other. Let me uh, let me make the point this way. I've had someone ask me this really, really tough question. This question breaks my heart when I stop and think about it. Here's the question. Will God really send someone to hell who's never even heard the name Jesus? That's a hard question, isn't it? Somebody's born in a foreign land where Jesus isn't even known. Maybe the only way they hear the name Jesus is in, uh, in jest or in vain. And they grow up their whole life and, and they're exposed to false religion and they die. It, would God really send someone like that to hell? And the hard reality is, yes, he will. And you say, well, how could God do that? Can I take just a moment and tell you, that the, the answer to that question proves the point I'm trying to make here, the duality of abiding. Why is it that they go to hell? Is it God's fault? It isn't God's fault. Do you remember when Jesus stood there with his disciples as he got ready to ascend? 
He looked at them and he told them, it is your job to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark sixteen fifteen hangs above my head. Preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. It is your job to do that. So what was, what was God's responsibility? It was providing the cross so there would be a way of salvation. Then he turned around and told his disciples, now it's your responsibility to go and tell. Do you know it's possible that there are those in this room right here, right now, God wants you to go to a foreign land and tell some poor soul who's never heard of Jesus about how to get to heaven. It's very possible. But we're too busy living the American dream, living in our comfortable home, driving our comfortable car, making our uh, our big money, and, and living the American lifestyle. And if God wanted you to go to the mission field, you're not going to go because you're too in love with what you have and where you are. I wonder one day if we get to heaven, if God doesn't say, put his arm around us and say, you know, had you followed the perfect plan for my life, you would have gone here and preached the gospel to these people. Now, while I'm judging them for their sins and throwing them into hell, I want you to keep in realization that had you abided in me and I produced the fruit in you that I wanted to produce, many of these people would not be at this judgment, they would be at the next one. They would be at the judgment of the saved, not the lost. While I'm escorting them to the edge of uh, eternity and tossing them into hell, just remember that had you abided in me, you would have produced fruit that you never even knew I had in mind. The truth is, many, many people will never hear Jesus because Christians are not abiding in Christ and they're not doing their job. Now, that's a hard sermon to preach, and that's not something we want to hear. But my friend, that is the truth. Every single person that goes to hell without hearing the gospel, I believe if Christians had just done their job, that person would have heard the gospel and had the chance to, to receive, or at least uh, the opportunity to go to heaven. The duality of abiding. We need Christ in order to produce, but Christ needs us to produce through. Uh, uh, number two of the message this morning, not only is it personable, abiding in Christ is productive. It is productive. Look back at John chapter 15 and verse number 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me... And I in him, look here, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can't do nothing. The same bringeth forth much fruit. If you underline in your Bibles, underline that phrase. The same bringeth forth much fruit, and maybe circle that word much. The emphasis on much. The same bringeth forth much fruit. Uh, uh, Listen, what kind of a tree... If I were to go out and plant an apple seed, and I were to be carefully select the right apple seed, and I were to get that down into the soil, and I were to see the roots go down deep and the tree come up, and I were to follow all of the the, the, the steps I'm to take, and that tree comes up, and it's it's set to produce apples, and it gets its leaves out, and it's it's had plenty of time to develop, I've been patient with it, and then it doesn't produce any apples. You know what I would call that tree? I would call it a failure. An absolute failure. Listen, I put that seed in the dirt, and I I walked guard around that little sprout when it came out of the ground, and as it turned into a strong tree, I pulled the weeds, I, I did everything I could to make sure that tree had everything it had, and it gets to the day where it's supposed to start giving me uh, baskets of apples, and there are no apples. That tree is a failure. 
unfortunately, many Christians, you are saved and you're on your way to heaven, but there is no fruit because you're not abiding in Christ. You're not productive. And John 15 says that if you are really, truly abiding in me, you will be productive. You say, well, pastor, that uh, that sounds good in theory. Give me some practical. What does it mean to be productive? Well, Jesus takes care of that for us. Letter A, notice our prayers are answered. Our prayers are answered. Look at John chapter 15 and verse number 7. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like I'm going to hit every prayer I pray is going to get answered. Every single one of them. I'm going to pray and the Lord's going to answer my prayer. Let me show you some other verses in the Bible, this idea of our prayer being answered. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse number 3. Turn over there with me. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse number 3. Have you all found it? You're turning furiously. I hear lots of pages moving. Just be glad I didn't have you turn to the book of Hezekiah. You'd be here all day looking for Hezekiah, wouldn't you? Some of you figure that one out later. Jeremiah 33, 3. Let's read it out loud together. Ready? Here we go. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Notice that there isn't any ambiguity in these verses. If you call unto me, I will answer thee. Not I might, not I'll think about it, I will answer thee. Let me give you another one here. Psalm chapter 37 and verse number 4. Psalm 37 and verse number 4. What is the advantage of abiding in Christ, dwelling with Christ, leaning on Christ, um, uh, uh, depending on Christ? You know, that word trust, that word trust means dependability. I, I, I'm going to, while you're turning there, I want to illustrate this here. Um, Jason, come on up here a minute. I'm glad you're sitting close today. Come on up on the platform here. This is Jason Magnarella. Jason's uh, become a really good friend of mine. And I appreciate him. Jason, do you trust me? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad you trust me. I picked you because I thought you trust me. Turn and face that wall for me. And um, I'm going to have you, I'm going to show you what trust is, all right? I'm going to have you fall back. Can you fall back for me? I'll catch you. Okay. That's trust, all right? Now, that wasn't a lot of trust because had I let him fall a little further, he may have put his foot back and caught himself, okay? We're going to see how much he actually trusts me. Okay. Fall back again. Come on. Okay. That's quite a bit of trust. Um, I'm going to need to see a chiropractor after church. He's quite heavy. Okay, one more time here. Come on back. Come on back. Okay, that's trust. Okay, that's depending. Thank you, Jason. That's depending. He was depending on me that he wouldn't fall. Okay, and uh, he was uh, a Marine, and he's probably had things similar done, and they moved out of the way and let him fall. Fell, uh, fall. That's what they do, and then everyone laughs at you. Um, uh, but uh, trust. Do you trust the Lord to get you through? Do you trust the Lord to get you through a tough financial spot? 
Do you trust the Lord to get you through a medical situation? Do you trust the Lord when your relationships are struggling and you've done everything you can? Do you trust the Lord to help you know how to pray? Yes, even how we pray, the Lord can guide us and direct us. Look at Psalm 37, verse number 4. It says there, um, uh, it says, Delight thyself. Also in the Lord. You know what that means? Abide in the Lord. You're delighting in Him. Um, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Every now and then I'll load the family up into the car and we'll go to that farm in Oxford with ice cream. What's the name of that farm? Some of you, some of you said that with a lot of love in your voice. <laughs> Riches Farm. I ought to know that. That's my name. Rich's farm. Um, and I'll load my kids, my, my wife up, and Matthew and Angela aren't huge ice cream people, but me and April, we love ice cream. And so we'll go, and, and Angela's always trying to get on me about what I eat and how I eat. You know, she's a good wife. She's trying to make sure I don't blow up and, and all that. So I'll go, and um, I really like going with just April, because then I can get what I want. <laughs> I get the waffle cone, the super-duper size, you know. And April gets the waffle cone in the super-duper size, and then we, we race to see who can finish first so we can help the other one eat theirs. But we, we sit there, and, you know, it's hot, and it's dripping all down our hands, and we are delighting in that ice cream cone. John's got a sweet tooth. Yeah, I see the joy on your face as I'm talking about this. Uh, Jim likes ice cream. Uh, but uh, delighting in that. That's what the Lord wants us to do with Him. He wants us to delight in the Lord. Once you have developed a strong relationship with Jesus Christ, and you see Him as someone who is so vital to just getting through the day, you'll wake up one morning and oversleep the alarm clock, and you'll hop out of bed, and off to work you'll go, and you'll find 15, 20, 30 minutes in, an hour in, you're just a grump and a grouch, and something is missing. Why? Because you you you, you missed that time with the Lord. And you're calling out to Him in prayer and saying, Lord, I didn't get my time with you, but I want to try to make up for it during the day. Why? Because you've developed an attitude of delighting in the Lord. We'll look back at verse 4. And He shall give thee, He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. What does that mean? There's a duality in this verse. The duality is that He's going to first, He's going to give you the right desires to have. And then when you turn around and pray for the desires He put in your heart, He's going to fulfill your prayer. He's going to fulfill your prayer. And so, no, that verse does not mean that you can pray for a Ferrari and one's going to land in your driveway. That's not what that means. It means the Lord is going to give you the right desires and then He'll fulfill them. Call unto me and I will answer thee. Um, uh, Go back with me again to John chapter number 15. And again, look with me at verse number 7. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you. What are the words of of the Lord. What are the words of Christ? Well, they're the Bible. Jesus is the living word and the Bible is the written word. And what so what is that? That is that is the words of Christ dwelling in us. Have you ever just stopped and just prayed the scriptures? You ever done that? Have you ever turned the book of Psalms to a devotional type psalm that David wrote and said, Lord, I don't think I can word it any better than David did. I'm going to pray this psalm to you. I'm going to take the time 
to mean that. You know what you're doing? You are praying His words and you're praying the desires that He's put in your heart. And God will answer your prayers. One sign that you'll know that you've become productive for the Savior is when you start praying prayers and marking them and watching the Lord answer those prayers. Let her be noticed. God's love is channeled. God's love is channeled. Uh, look with me at John chapter 15 and verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Look at verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Continue ye in my love. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 7. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 7. While you're turning there, I was studying this passage as a teenage boy And I got to those verses and I was just so overwhelmed by what they said. And I remember praying to the Lord. Uh, I I, I can't even remember the place I was uh, praying this as a teenage boy. And I remember telling the Lord, saying, Lord, I can't love with the, 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 the amount of love that you love. I just can't do it. Do you understand how incomprehensible the love of Christ is toward us? Do you understand this? If you haven't, take a moment and and, and step away from your own the, the end of your own nose and the selfish way you normally think and look at this from God's perspective. Think about how much God hates sin and think about how interwoven sin is into our being and who we are. And God looked down and said, I hate sin, but I sure love my creation. And while I want to pick them up, and while I want to toss them into the flames of hell and punish them for their sin that they've committed against me that I hate so dearly, instead I'm going to take my only begotten Son and I'm going to send Him to the earth so that He can hang up on a tree and I'm going to gather together all of the sins of the world and lay those on my Son and let those sins kill my Son on the cross. How deep the Father's love for us. How blessed beyond all measure that He would give His only Son to make this wretch a treasure. Now, you stop and think about how much love that is. And then you consider this idea that we have been commanded in John 15 to turn around and do the same thing. Wow. I don't think that I'm ever going to have an opportunity to love someone like that. My sins have so offended a holy God, no matter what you do to me, no matter how offensive you act toward me, no matter how you would treat me or my children or my wife, there is no possible way you could be as offensive to me as my sins have been to God. And so there will never be an opportunity on that level. So while I'll never be able to love with the same quantity of love, I can love with the same quality of love. You look at Jesus up on the cross and you imagine Him there. And you see Him looking down on those those high priests. And you see them as they're walking by in their pious, holy attitude in front of the cross. And they're wagging their head. And they're putting on a show. And they're saying, if thou be the Son of God, then come down from off that cross. He saved others, but Himself He cannot save. 
You know, if it was me up on that cross with the temper that I have, I would have called out to God and say, open the ground and just swallow them right here. Send a lightning bolt out of heaven and just let their carcasses lie so that they can see what it's like when they mistreat me. That's not what Jesus did because that's not why he was there. He was not there to rain wrath down on the world. He was there to rain love down on the world. And he hung there and he looked at those men and he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. For they know not what they do. They don't fully comprehend what they're doing. They're broken and they're wretched and they're sinful. And while I hate their sin, I'm up here dying for them. Father, forgive them. You know, one of the evidences that you are abiding in Christ is God gives you an innate ability to love other people that just aren't so lovable. You're able to show care for people that most of society kicks to the curb and neglects. Look at Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 7 with me. It says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Why? Because God's love is being channeled through him. Hey, it's not my uh, uh, superior ability to love my enemies or love the unlovable. No, it's God loving that person just through me. And all I'm doing is I'm a channel that runs the love of God through. I'm just the branch that's connected into the vine. And that vine is sending up the nutrients so that fruit of loving the unlovable can be produced through my life. God's love is channeled. Are you someone that loves the unlovable? Or are you someone that spites and turns down and despises and runs from the unlovable? My friend, you cannot abide, you cannot, if you, rather, if you're going to abide in Christ, you will not be able to help but to love others around you. It is an attribute. It is a distinction. It is a mark of true Christianity. Letter C. Notice our joy remains full. Our joy remains full. Quickly here, we'll finish up the message. Uh, Look with me at John chapter 15 and verse 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Uh, I live in a home where I have well water. We have well water at our home. We have a septic system and we have a swimming pool in our backyard. And so in the spring, we will open up the water hose and we will put several, I don't know, 100,000 gallons of water in that pool. And we have to do it in stages. Otherwise, we drain the well dry. And um, that well water isn't just for me. That well water also supplies my neighbors. Funny thing is I was outside my home a couple of weeks ago and I was splitting some wood. And my uh, the, the neighbor's wife came walking down the road with her children. And she came up my driveway and she said, how you doing? I had a little conversation with her and she said, yeah, um, Matt was putting water uh, in our pool. And he empties his all the way out of here. And he said he filled the whole pool up at one time. And he said, uh, we were up the road a couple of houses up at uh, the other neighbor's house. And he mentioned, he said, you know, I turned my washing machine on today and I wasn't getting a whole lot. And she said, I looked at my husband and I went, don't say anything. You know what happened? The well had run dry. Now, thankfully, our well fills up pretty quick. We've. We've got quite a bit, we have quite a bit of water there in that well. But, uh, but I'll tell you that a Christian, there is a overflowing well water of joy that the Lord wants to bubble over in your heart. But you know what we can do is we can go and we can turn off that supply 
And although it's available, we don't have that joy unspeakable and full of glory. We're miserable. We're, we're, we're sad. And the Lord says, if you're abiding in me, there will be an abundance of joy that remains in you. Turn over to John chapter 16. And again, let me give you the setting before we read verse 20 here. Um, Jesus is walking from the upper room where the Lord's Supper had just taken place. He's walking to uh, the Mount of Olives where he'll be arrested, tried, and then killed. And so the heart of our Lord is very heavy. And he's becoming very stressed and grieved as he knows he's getting ready to bear the sins of the world. And so he's giving his disciples one last challenge before he's arrested and carried away. And in this time of great distress, he speaks to them of the importance of joy. Look at verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, speaking of his arrest and death, but the word shall rejoice... And ye shall, but the world shall rejoice and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And then he gives us an analogy, verse 21. A woman, she is in travail, when she is in travail hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of that child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is brought into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. And in the day that ye shall ask me uh, nothing, verily, verily, I ask unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father of my name, he will give it to you. Look at verse 24. Here, hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive. Why? That your joy may be full. You know, we go through these hard times in our life, we go through these struggles in our life, and we sorrow. We turn to the Lord and we go to Him and say, Lord, the time is tough. And you know what the Lord does? He brings us through that trouble, that trial, and He gives us joy that is overflowing and abounding. How do you know that you're abiding in Christ? Well, there's a joy that's just inexplicable. We've looked at our, uh, uh, rather, abiding in Christ is personable and then productive. Number three, lastly, notice, abiding in Christ must take Priority. It must take priority. Let's uh, quickly finish the message. John chapter 15, back in verse, John chapter 15. Look back with me at verse 5. It says there, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Look at the end of the verse here. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Letter A, notice, abiding is critical. It is critical. The end of verse 5, without me, read the rest of the verse with me, ye can do nothing. Again, ye can do nothing. Wow, what a strong statement. If I'm not abiding in Christ, I can't do really anything that matters. Oh, I can make money. I can buy a nice home. I can drive nice cars and I can have worldly friends. Let me just stop and ask you a question to prove the point here. This, and I've, I've used this before, so bear with me here because it makes the point. How many of you here know uh, more than five details about your great-grandparents? One, two, more than five details about your great-grandparents. How about your great-great-grandparents? Keep your hand up if you know five details about your great-great-grandparents. Okay, we have one, two. 
These are people who have done their homework. They've done their due diligence. Good job, by the way. Way to remember your heritage. Do you think in a hundred years anyone is going to care what kind of car you drove or house you lived in? How much money you accrued? Nope. You, you can do things without Christ, but you can't do anything that truly matters without Christ. Without me, ye can do nothing. The Bible says that if you want to be that branch that is not tied into the vine of Christ, well then, you're going to be gathered up as a withered piece of wood and you're going to be burned in the fire. How many of you here have wood that you burn over the winter to help control heating costs? Hold your hand up if you do that. You know what you do? You take that wood once it's been severed from the root system and you put it up and you cover it and you let it season, right? It dries out. So many Christians are dried out. Now, the truth is you can fake it for a little while. I was talking to Brother Mark here before church this morning. We were talking about those that fake their Christianity. For a while, they're abiding in Christ and then they step away from that. And you can't tell because there's still that fruit on the vine. But you stay away long enough and all of a sudden you begin to wither up. Those leaves begin to become crunchy. Sort of like when you give roses to your wife, men. After about a couple of weeks, what do those roses look like? They're withered. That's what you're going to become looking like without Christ. You know what you're good for? You're to be cast out and you're to be cast out and burned. Now that doesn't mean you go to hell. That's not what that means. That just means that there isn't anything there. I would encourage you, if you're curious about that, to go study 1 Corinthians 3. That's talking about our works being burned by fire at the judgment seat one day. Abiding in Christ is critical. If you want to, if you want to do anything productive for the Lord, you must be tied into Christ. Letter B, we'll finish with this. Abiding must be constant. Abiding must be constant. Look at verse 5 again. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. There cannot be a moment where the branch breaks away from the vine and then reattaches himself. It must be constant. Look at verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. There must be that constant connection. Constant connection. And I don't have these on the screen, but I'll just share, with, share this with you. This, this constant abiding, it begins by being connected to Christ in private. In private. Do you read your Bible and pray when no one else is watching you? Do you have that time where it is just you and your Savior? You're not doing it for show. You're not doing it to impress your kids or your wife or your husband, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. It's just about you and the Lord. Is there that private walk with the Lord? Is it daily? Do you long for it? Do you long for it? Do you ever get to a place at work where you say, this is so frustrating, I just want to get home and get my Bible and get it open and walk with my God and be spiritually renewed? You don't need to walk around bragging about it or talking about it or showing anybody else what you do. It's not about that. It never has been about that. It's about you and your Savior. 
You want to be in tight with Him. You want that relationship with Him. One of the biggest differences between this church and many others uh, that are meeting today is we're not pushing you uh, into a set of rituals. Listen, all I want tomorrow morning is for White Oak Baptist Church, those here, to get up and get their Bibles and read them and let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly and then you fall on your knees and you talk to the Lord in prayer. And there's both ample time for Him to speak to you and you to speak to Him. Abiding in Christ takes place in private, but it also takes place in our practices. Our practices. Are you ashamed to bow your head at work and pray before you eat your lunch? Do you do one of these? Lord bless my food, amen. You know, you, you knock your fork off and you're, Lord bless my food, bless my body, help me Lord. Don't be ashamed. Hey, bring that Bible if you have an office job and and set it right there on your desk. Let people know you're a Christian. Don't be ashamed of that. And, and let that help keep you on the straight and narrow. And then, and then lastly here, um, it's not just about our daily practices. It's about abiding in Christ in public. In public. That public showing that we really do care. By the way, a phony Christian shows that he abides in Christ in public, but doesn't do it in private. And a Christian who's ashamed of his Lord does it in private, but won't do it in public. God wants us to abide in Him everywhere we go. Listen, abiding in Christ isn't just about having a time where you read your Bible and pray. Abiding in Christ is stopping in a frustrating moment and saying, Lord, I'm frustrated, what would you have me to do? Abiding in Christ is that taking a time to say, Lord, my friend is having a hard time. How would you help me being encouragement to him? It's that, Lord, uh, I want to meditate on what I read this morning and I want it to move in my heart. That constantly abiding, that dwelling, that staying, that resting in the Lord. God, I pray that you'd help us this morning as we have considered such a vital truth out of your word. All of us can abide deeper and richer. Some of us are trying to live the Christian life on our own. Lord, help us not to be guilty of that. Help us to not try to fabricate fruit. Lord, may that fruit be born through us, through a personable, productive, and prioritized abiding in our Savior. If there's one here this morning that has not yet received Christ, can I encourage you today to do that? You, you cannot produce for the Lord until you become a child of the Lord. You cannot be a child of the Lord until you have come to a realization that your sin has separated you from a holy God. That Jesus Christ came to the earth as God on earth. He lived a perfect life. And His death on the cross was about nothing more than paying your way out of hell. And if you'll turn to Him, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and you'll you'll believe in Him, you'll depend on Him, you'll trust Him, in Him, in Him alone to take you to heaven. Jesus Christ will save your soul. John, or rather, Thomas was confused. The disciple of Christ was confused about the way to heaven. And Jesus said simply, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you're here today and you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, please don't leave here until you have done that. For those of you here today that are saved, how many of you say, Pastor, the Lord has showed me some way 
through the message this morning that I can do a better job of abiding in Christ. Pray for me this week, Pastor, that I will do that. Here's my hand. Please pray for me. There's something I can do to improve my abiding in Christ. How many here today say, Pastor, I, uh, I am abiding in Christ, but yet to see the fruits of abiding in Christ fully take place in my life. Pray for me that God would give me that patience as I wait for Him to produce that fruit. Here's my hand, Pastor. Pray for me that the Lord would give me that patience. That fruit would manifest itself in my life. And then lastly, how many here say, Pastor, I'm carrying some pretty tough stuff in my heart, in my home right now. Pray for me that God would give me the grace to get through this difficult time. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand so I can pray for you. Pray that God gets me through this difficult time. Lord, help those with their hands raised. Help them to make it through. Lord, guide them. Help them to see your care in their life through this difficult time. Help us to be Christians that abide in you. In Jesus' name, amen.